Welcome everyone to Celtic Creature Podcast 104. And today I've called this one a time to weep because there's so much grief in this text. It's uh, We're looking at the story of Lazarus and his, his resurrection. But there's a lot of weeping in this, a lot of grief. We see Jesus standing outside the grave and he's weeping because his, one of his best friends has died. We have one of his best friends, Mary, weeping at his feet. And we have the sister, Martha, just completely bewildered why Jesus doesn't do something or didn't do something faster. The disciples tend to be in their usual confused mode. So, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in this text. And it's, uh, it's from John 11. And you know John, if you know anything about the Gospel of John, he was a bit of a mystic. So his writing is very different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You know, when he writes, John can't help but use lots and lots of metaphors to describe Jesus. You know, he's the bread of life. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, He's the living water. So he loves to use this kind of very poetic, beautiful language. And we have today an account of the raising up of Lazarus. The once dead Lazarus comes stumbling out of the tomb like a really like a mummy wrapped in his grave cloths. And this may well be a passage that you might skip over if you were reading this from home. Because it's kind of strange, right? Mummies coming out of a tomb. Yeah, it's kind of weird. So, but we know, we know from experience, and we've seen this countless, countless times, we know from experience there's going to be someone or something in this story, this narrative, that we can relate to. And it might be something like, maybe we can relate to Jesus. We're we're weeping at a grave. Some of us are going to relate to that today because we're going to be brokenhearted over something. Or we're going through some sort of loss, some sort of heartbreak, and we can relate to weeping. Or you might be more like Martha, You know God's all-powerful, but you're really not exactly sure if God can help your particular situation. Or maybe you're like the disciples. Why does everything have to take so long? Why did Jesus delay in helping Lazarus? Why didn't he just rush there and do something rather than wait around and then have him die? So they're kind of confused, right? Why is God always, or it seems like, so slow? You might relate to that if you're going through a time where you're asking, you're hoping for something to happen, and there's just this long, drawn-out waiting. Feels like such a waste of time. Or you might relate to the character Mary in this text. Mary, one of Jesus' best friends, she just falls at his feet and weeps over the loss of her brother. Yeah, there's lots of tears in the story, lots of grief. I think this is why John 11 is a favorite text to use for funerals, because everyone 
end the story at one point or another as, as crying and they're grieving. So on to the story. Here's the story. First of all, I have to tell you some of the meaning of the New Testament words because it will really shed light onto this text for you. It's about a man named Lazarus, and Lazarus, the name means God helps. So in the original language, Lazarus means God helps. And he lives in a town called Bethany, which means the house of affliction. Lazarus is the one Jesus loves. So again, here's John at his best using, he's, remember John's a bit of a mystic and he's certainly a poet. So he's telling you about a story of someone Jesus loves who lives in the house of affliction. He's going to tell you about a time where someone was afflicted and God helped this one. Yeah, so it's really an indirect way of saying, this is what God does, this is who God is, so you'll want to get in touch with the Lazarus in you, because this is where the narrative is headed, and this is where it is, is most powerful. The more hopeless the situation, the better, because actually this is a hopeless situation because the time we get to see Lazarus who's been dead and buried for four days, so there's not a whole lot of hope there for anything to happen. Here's a short version of the story. It's kind of long. It's 45 verses. I'm just going to pick up a few highlights. Jesus got word that his best friend Lazarus was sick, and surprisingly he does nothing for two days. He stays where he is, he's in Jerusalem, and he does nothing. And the line is, uh, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, this family. He, this was the family that he would hang out with when he wasn't with his disciples, he wasn't working. So the, these are his best friends, Mary, Martha and Lazarus. He hears that Lazarus is sick and he does nothing for two days. And in that two-day time where he is apparently doing nothing, Lazarus dies. It's a long journey to get to Lazarus. It's two days on foot. So after the two days, he says to his disciples, Jesus, okay, let's go see Lazarus. And by now he's dead. So they start on this long journey back, and when they arrive at Bethany, or the house of affliction, Lazarus' sister, Martha, runs out to meet him and actually scolds him and says, you know, if you had been here, he would not have died. If you had been here. And Jesus says to her in verse 23, well, he'll rise again at the resurrection. And she says, I know, I know. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And then later, Jesus goes on and he meets the other sister, Mary, who is grieving back at the house. All the friends are grieving. They all go to the grave. So there they all are at the graveside. Martha, Mary, all the friends. Jesus stands outside the cave weeping, just like a funeral, right? Well, it's like a funeral until 
Jesus calls Lazarus to come out of the grave. And of course, everyone is shocked and horrified because this guy's been buried for four days. And Jesus asks that the stone of the cave be rolled away. They're even more shocked when Lazarus stumbles out of this dark tomb, all wrapped up like a mummy. Now, <laughs> this, is, this is kind of amazing here. If you are at all familiar with the Easter account, if you're at all familiar with what happens at Easter time, you need to know that this is the final sign, the final miracle in John's gospel. Actually, John doesn't call them miracles. He calls them signs. And the signs are always giving us information or telling us something about God. So John deliberately puts this sign of Lazarus as the very last thing Jesus did before his own death and subsequent uh, resurrection. So it's almost like a little sneak preview of what's to come. It's a very creative interesting way to write something. Actually, you know, you can look at the the scripture as a piece of literature in the sense that it has all these different kinds of genres. It's got prayers, it's got narratives, it's got poetry, it's got um, creative writing in it, and songs, all sorts of things. And so John is using this very creative perspective and he's giving us a hint of what is going to come, which would be Jesus' resurrection. And of course, actually, ultimately, our own, which is a whole other subject, isn't it? So this Lazarus was, actually, Lazarus, I think it would be fair to say, Lazarus is more revived than resurrected. The difference being that Lazarus is revived, and then he goes on and has a life, and then he dies like everyone else. Whereas when Jesus is resurrected, there is no more death, right? And that's what they prom- That's what he promises at us, basically, which is why this is such a popular passage that's read at funerals, because it's the idea that death is not the end of the story, right? If we've died with Christ, we believe that we're also raised with him. Now, how we imagine this is anybody's guess, quite frankly. How you imagine new life, how you imagine resurrection, really is how you imagine it, because we have no idea. We don't know. All we know is is that Christ says death isn't the end. And just as he was resurrected and lives, so we shall be. But we don't have a whole lot of detail on that. To be honest, we die, the body's buried. When the breath leaves, it's not the end of the story. It's certainly the end of a chapter, however, you know, because death is real and it's brutal and it's heartbreaking, right? If you've lost someone, you know this. It is a heartbreak. There's no way to soften the blow. But in the New Testament, death doesn't get the final word. Yeah, that's that's a huge. Well, that's a that's a big promise that death doesn't get the final word. Now I mentioned earlier 
that within this narrative, there's going to be someone that you will connect with in some way. And I said earlier that maybe you'll connect to Jesus who is weeping by a grave because you're going through a time of loss and you might connect with that. I think it's worth mentioning that being brokenhearted and grieving, you can still trust God and be brokenhearted. It's human to grieve. It's human to be brokenhearted. There's no shame in being brokenhearted. Yeah. Or maybe you're like Martha. You know that God is all-powerful, but you're really, you're just not exactly sure how God can help you in your particular situations. Or maybe you're like the disciples, you're, you're just completely bewildered. Why does he hang around here for two days waiting for Lazarus to die and then we go? I mean, this is just doesn't make any sense, right? You might be absolutely bewildered and confused when you think about God. You know, Martha is such a curious mix of disappointment and grief and anger and trust. And I love that mix in a way. You know, she scolds Jesus. Why? Why are you so late, she's basically saying. I mean, he's dead. So she scolds him. It's like, this happened because you didn't do something. And I've seen you do things. I've seen you raise up people. I've seen you do so many amazing things. You could have prevented this. And yet, you delayed. You delayed. And if you had intervened sooner... You could have helped, but you didn't. Yeah, she's got that trust and that anger and that grief and that disappointment all at once, all at once, all at once. It's kind of amazing. You get to have all these feelings and yet still believe and trust. In fact, the Psalms, if if you feel all these things, If you're going through a time where you feel grief and anger and trust and disappointment, you're going to love the Psalms because the Psalms were songs basically written when many of them were attributed to King David, the ancient king, where he's going through all of these feelings, all of them at the one time. It's like, yes, yes, you get to feel all these things and yet still trust. So Martha is going through all of this. She doesn't understand your timing. I don't understand it. Why does it it have to be this way? Why, Why is life this way? It's almost like, don't talk to me about the circle of life. I don't like the whole circle of life idea. Birth and death and, well, the birth part's good, but who who needs the rest, right? Martha said, if you had been here, I hear in her a weariness. She's kind of weary, if you had been here. And yet Jesus says to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. And she's like, yeah, 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 I know. 
I know he's going to be resurrected. And Jesus comes back. He doesn't stop there. He comes back a second time and he said, Martha, Martha. He wants to steer her to a more immediate sense of God's activity. He said, I am resurrection and life today, right now. It's like, Martha, you're missing the point. You're looking ahead. You're thinking about, oh, yeah, sometime in the future, I am the resurrection and the life. Sometime in the future, you know, Lazarus will be raised up and all will be okay. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm talking about right this moment. It's like, Martha, you're thinking, you're living in the future. Let's talk about right now. Let's talk about this moment. I am life. I am life right now for you. Don't keep looking ahead. I think that's fascinating because, you know, some of us have an orientation to time, which is future, which means that we're always planning. We're always thinking. We're always trying to work things out in the future. And, you know, sometimes that's helpful. But sometimes it's not. Because if we live in the future too much, we're missing what God is doing in the actual moment. This actual moment. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, Martha, I am life for you. I'm not talking about the future. I'm not talking about the past. I'm not talking about things that could happen. I'm saying, right this moment. And he's drawing Martha into a more immediate understanding of his presence and of his power. And so often we need this. So often we need this. We need to know that God is with us right at this moment. This is not a promise for the future. Well, actually, it is a promise for the future. But it's actually even more than that. It's something present tense now. It's like Jesus is saying, I'm life for you at this moment. I'm coming to you right at this moment. I'm helping you right at this moment. Never mind the future. Stop thinking about the future for a minute, right? Right at this moment, I am here for you. I'm resurrection. I'm bringing you life. Where do you need to see this resurrection power? Where do you need to see this life? There's the prayer. There's the prayer. There's the heart cry. As you look at your life and as you see the dying pieces or you see the hopeless pieces, the pieces that seem beyond help, and then the Christ comes and says, okay, I am life. I am life. It might be a change of perspective that God brings, a new way of looking at things, It might be a change in circumstances. It might be a change in you. It might be a change in someone else. There's a million things God can do to bring life to your particular situation. But that's the prayer and that's the heart cry. God, come and bring your life, your resurrection to me at this moment, at this time, right now. Now, well, thank you for joining me. You have been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again 
next week for another episode.